Good morning. My name is Keith Tuttle. Uh, Pastor Jeremy asked if I would bring the message today. Um, now, just so you're aware, um, my daughter and I went to the Celtic Woman concert in Green Bay last night. Any Celtic Woman fans here? The rest of you are uncultured Philistines. Um, so if I suddenly break into an Irish dialect, that's why. Which is preferable to having seen River Dance and started to do this while I'm up here. But uh, a few months ago, uh, Pastor Jeremy and I sat down and we were talking about what we wanted to do during this time. And uh, we decided to do a mini-series, a, a three-part message on finances and, and giving and everything that that is about. So if you've been with us the last two weeks, you know that two weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy preached on greed and how the Bible talks a lot about greed, but yet none of us really think we struggle with it. And it's an area we're kind of blind to because it is part of who we are. It is part of that old nature, that old selfishness that resides within us. And it's important that we recognize it and fight it. And then last week, uh, Jeremy talked about debt and how having a burden of debt on our shoulders really limits our capacity to bless others and to be used by God in a lot of ways. Now we're on the third of these messages which, if you're keeping track, means I'm the closer. Make sure you mention that to Jeremy. Um, and what I want to talk to you about today is the reward of faithfulness. Now, faithfulness is a broad category, and it really encompasses all of who we are and our obedience to God in many ways. But in keeping with our theme, I want to talk more specifically about financial faithfulness and how we handle the resources God has given us. Now, my notes aren't as polished and detailed as Pastor Jeremy's are, so from time to time you'll see me going like this to the tech booth because that's their cue to advance the slides. So uh, try not to be distracted by that um, too much. But that was your advance, by the way. So our question is, what has God promised in the Bible, to the financially faithful. Let's look at a couple verses here. Out of Proverbs 3, it says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now let's break this down a little bit. First it says, Honor the Lord from your wealth. Now, in our culture, when we use the term wealth, we're generally talking about somebody who has a lot, someone who's rich in some way. That's not what we're talking about here. We're just talking about the sum total of your resources, be they great or be they very small. Honor the Lord with your resources and from the first of your produce. Notice the word first. Throughout Scripture, there is an emphasis that we don't bring to God the leftovers. That we bring him the first, the best, off the top. So we put that together and we are 
told to honor the Lord with the best and the first of our resources, and our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats overflow with new wine. Now, most of you don't have barns. But I think you get the picture there that when we are faithful with what God has entrusted with us, there is a blessing that follows. Let's look at another passage. Out of Malachi chapter 3, God says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty cool to me. The idea that God could open the windows of heaven and just start pouring blessing on me and my family. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? But now some of you who know your Bible well will, will have a caution flag come up right now. And you'll say, oh, Keith, wait a minute here. We're talking about Israel. Okay, this is Old Testament before the time of Jesus. It's written to Israel, to the Jews, who were under the law. They were under the law of Moses, and they were legally obligated to bring 10%, or what is called the tithe. So if that's true, how do we apply this verse to us? Well, it is certainly true. We are not under the law. We are not legally required to give 10% or 5% or anything for that matter. We are under grace. So then how do we look at it when it says God will open the windows of heaven? Because I want that. <laughs> well, let's look and compare this to what the New Testament says. Those things that are written you know, from the time of Jesus and on that we know do directly apply to us as his church. So what has God promised to us? Let's look at this first verse. God will meet the needs of the faithful. Out of Philippians it says this, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. I bet a lot of you have that verse memorized. But be careful with it because it's easy to take it out of context. When you look at Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and in this specific passage, he is thanking them for, even though they were in fact poor, they were generously giving to his ministry. And it is in that context of their financial faithfulness that he says, and my God will supply all your needs. If you are financially irresponsible, don't expect to be able to claim this verse. If you can't pay your rent because you went to Oneida and blew it, don't think, expect that God is going to somehow compensate for that and, and just keep feeding your needs while you're foolish. No, this is in the context of financial faithfulness here. Let's look at it another way in the book of Matthew. Jesus says this, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? 
For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay, let's start at the the very last sentence there. A verse many of us know. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, put your focus on the kingdom, on God's priorities, and then all these things will be added to you. All what things? What, what has he just talked about? Our basic needs. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? God has promised to meet those needs if we are not focused on our needs but are focused on his kingdom. Are you following me? And it starts out, do not worry then. Let me ask you, how much of your worry is focused on finances and money. It's probably most of your worry. Even if we have plenty today, we have no guarantee of having plenty tomorrow, right? And there is this constant sense of worry. I mean, most of us are thinking, man, in five years, am I going to need 50 grand a year for health insurance? (laughs) I mean, we worry about these things. Jesus turns it around. He says, no, you worry about the kingdom. You worry about the gospel. You worry about my priorities. And then let me take care of your needs. It's the worry killer. Once you've handed it over to God, worry is gone. Now, I wish I could tell you that I have arrived at that point. But uh, I'm quite a bit sure. There are days... When I am relying on God and I'm putting it in his hand and I'm focused on the kingdom and there are other days where I'm looking ahead thinking, what in the world are we going to (laughs) do? So yeah, we struggle with that. But let's keep pulling ourselves back. Pulling ourselves back to God's priorities and to worrying about his kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next So God has promised to meet the needs of the faithful and he says that our greatest rewards are in the kingdom. Look at this verse from Revelation. Revelation 22, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Okay, this is at the end of this age, during the judgment time, when Jesus himself returns to earth to set up his kingdom. And he says to those who have been faithful, I will be bringing my reward with me. And that reward is going to stay with you for the entire kingdom time. We can't ever lose sight of that because sometimes we don't see the blessings and the rewards in this life. And we have to always keep in front of us the reality that God is keeping track And what we do now will influence the rewards for the kingdom and for eternity. Here's another verse. Jesus says in Matthew 19, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. It boils down to this. Whatever we sacrifice here for the sake of the kingdom, God is going to multiply it and give it back to us in the kingdom. 
and we will just be blessed tremendously. The eternal reward. So God has promised to take care of the needs of the faithful, that our rewards are primarily the greatest rewards are in the kingdom. Then there is this category that I call undefined blessings. Let's look at this verse out of Matthew 6. Jesus says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I mean, this must have been an interesting time to be in church. You're, you're sitting in the church, getting ready for the service, and all of a sudden, bam, ba, la, ba, 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 a trumpet goes off. And this high-power, rich guy comes. I don't know why that's popping. I don't think I'm doing anything, but we'll try to ignore it. And this rich guy comes strutting, and Pastor Jeremy, I have brought to this church this massive check of $50,000. And everybody says, ooh. I mean, this stuff was literally going on in the synagogues and on the streets during Jesus' time. And he's looking at these guys like, you hypocrites. He says, for us, no. Don't, you, you give in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I call this undefined blessings because we look at this and said, how is God going to reward us? It says God will reward us. Are we talking about here and now, or are we talking about in the kingdom? Are we talking about some physical reward or, or something non-physical? What does it look like? And the answer is we don't have a clue. See, God will reward us in his way, in his time for his purpose. And if we trust him, it's going to be good. That much we know for sure. Jesus also said in John 12, if anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. Well, what does that mean, really? What does it mean to be honored by God? I don't know. Again, another blessing that we know is coming to the faithful, but we don't really know what it is, because how God deals with your life is different than he deals with mine and how he deals with yours and how he blesses and how he works in our life to create in us who he wants us to be varies a lot. So, undefined blessings. And number four, God's blessings are proportional to our generosity. Let's look at this verse. Out of Luke, Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. What does that mean? God will be as generous to you as you are. His blessings will come to you in the same proportion that you are working for the kingdom, that you are blessing others. Next verse. God's blessings are proportional. Then there's a category that I refer to as non-material blessings. And these are perhaps the greatest of the blessings. Let's look at these. Number one, peace. Peace. When you 
obey God and give to God, it changes something in you. You begin to rely on God. You begin to let go of that worry. And when you do that, you experience peace the world doesn't understand. You experience a lack of fear of the future that the world doesn't understand. Next, wisdom. You know, it may be that God's blessing to you isn't so much that he gives you more. He may be able to give you the wisdom to use what you have better, to be more wise in your dealings, and to bless you in that capacity. Next, contentment. You know, when you begin to realize and be thankful for what you have, instead of focusing on what you don't have, contentment is the result. See, we as people naturally look at what we wish we had, what we see others have. But when we begin to honor God with our finances, it draws us into thanking him for what we do have, and that produces contentment. And lastly, a new relationship with our money or possessions. We begin to realize that it's not really ours. That everything we have has been entrusted to us by God, and we are stewards of it. And that will change something significant in your brain, and it will change how you look at your money, how you use your money, and all of the resources that you have. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list. They're just four things that were in the forefront of my mind. But we could, if we tried, come up with many other non-material blessings that come from being financially faithful to God. Next. How we give matters. How we give, why we give matters. First of all, we are to give sacrificially. I want to spend a moment on this and kind of draw the picture to you. If you've ever read the Bible through, particularly the Old Testament, then you know that there was a time in, in the nation of Israel where they were required to bring sacrifices to God. You know, if you've ever gotten to the book of Leviticus and you start reading and you're like, burn offering, fellowship offering, peace offering, wave offering, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I mean, all these things and I can't figure out what's what and which one's going where. But within those offerings, all of the offerings, most of them involved animal sacrifice, either a lamb or a young goat or a young cow. There was one stipulation that was consistent. It was to be without blemish. It was to be perfect. You were not to bring the sick to God. Now picture yourself as a farmer, and you've got a small flock of sheep, you know, 25 or so, and you're looking out at your flock, and you're looking at the lambs who were born a few months ago. And there's one particular young ram that catches your eye. He's just, you can tell he's stronger than the rest. He's healthier than the rest. He is just a beautiful, beautiful young, young lamb. Now, if you're a smart farmer, 
you're going to take that lamb and use him for breeding stock so that in future generations all your flock are as strong and as healthy as he is. And you will become more profitable in so doing. But then God comes along and says, give me that one. Give me the best, the most perfect. See, from a human perspective, that's stupid. You're hurting yourself in doing that. But God says, no, you trust me. When you give me the best, you are putting your faith in me that I'm going to take care of you, that I'm going to take care of your herd. Let's look at this verse out of Malachi. It says, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? You know, Malachi lived in an interesting time when people were still doing the religious thing, but their hearts weren't in it. And these guys were literally going out to their flock and saying, wow, look at that young lamb. I mean, the thing hasn't eaten for a week. He's wasting away. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with him, but he's going to die. Let's give it to God. Let's take that one and offer it as a sacrifice and worship to God. And Malachi seeing this and saying, do you have any idea who you're dealing with? This is the almighty king of the universe we're talking about. Are you going to dare insult him in such a way? Now, why is that bad? Why would it be evil, as Malachi says, for me to give something that's sick or something that's lame? Well, there's a couple of reasons. You know, one is that the entire sacrificial system points forward to the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus. And we know that these lambs were perfect in the same way that Jesus was perfect, in other words, without sin. But there's another aspect of it. See, if I'm a farmer and I bring in a lamb that's nearly dead, what does that cost me? Pretty much nothing. Pretty much nothing. If I give the best, that cost me big time. That cost me a lot. Let's look at one other passage. In 2 Samuel, this situation is David is the king. And without going into the details, something has happened and David needs to build an altar on a particular spot to sacrifice to God. Except he didn't own the spot. So he went to the guy that owned it and he said, sell me this land so I can build an altar and worship God. And the owner's like, hey, you're King David. You want to build an altar and worship God? You just take the land. It's yours. Look at how David responds. However, the king, that is David, said to Arona, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. See, when I'm giving a sick lamb, it costs me nothing. How does that apply to us? I wonder. If I'm an individual who has a pretty decent job, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay, 
And I'm sitting in church, and the offering plate passes. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I throw five bucks in there. Do I think God is pleased? Do I think God is in heaven saying, well, hey, at least I got five bucks out of him. That's better than nothing. I don't think so. I think we dare risk offending God because we are giving something which essentially costs us nothing. It is no sacrifice to us. Now, I understand there are some people for whom even a few dollars is a significant sacrifice. I'm not talking about you. But God expects our giving to be sacrificial, and if it's not, don't expect a blessing from him. Next point. We are to give with good motives. From Corinthians, it says, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. I could quite literally liquidate all my assets, my house, my vehicles, empty the 401k, give it all away to the church, to the poor, to whatever, and if love isn't my motivation... My reward is zero. See, that's a scary thought to me because I know I'm not really capable of 100% pure motives. So we struggle with that. But if our heart is to seek the kingdom of God and we are loving God and loving his church and loving people, then the reward will be for us. Next verse. Oh, excuse me, next point. We are to give willingly. Again, out of 2 Corinthians. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, again, if you're sitting in church and the offering plate passes and you're thinking, oh, great, here we go again. (laughs) Fine, whatever. Here, here's some money. You know what? Keep it. Seriously, keep the money. If you are giving to God grudgingly, there's no reward for you. You may as well hang on to it. We can either have recognition from people or from God, but not both. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. This is the same chapter where it came out with the hypocrites playing the trumpet before they were uh, going to give their gifts. It said, if you give so that other people are impressed with you, your reward is that other people might say, wow. And that's the only reward you get. You get zero from God. Next point. Just to be clear, now, whenever you talk about things like blessing, there's some misconceptions that need to be deal with, dealt with. Excuse me. First one, giving will probably not make you wealthy. See, there's a teaching out there, it's sometimes referred to as prosperity theology, that if you give, God will give back to you in the here, in the not, hit now, every time, that God's desire for you as a Christian is to be wealthy, healthy, and happy. 
Let me give you a clue on that. It, it, when you hear something like that, ask yourself a question. Does that teaching apply to all Christians everywhere? Can I take that teaching to the Christians in Iraq who are being slaughtered by ISIS and say, you know what God's will for your life is that you be happy and affluent and just, you know, live in the high life? Doesn't fit, does it? Therefore, it is not true. You see, those Christians understand that contrary to Joel Olstein, it is not our best life now, it is our best life in the kingdom, and that's what they're investing for. Beware of that theology. But I do say, one more moment on number one there, I said it will probably not make you wealthy because there are clearly some people who have been faithful with God, what God has entrusted with them, and he entrusts them with more. And he allows them to be wealthy for the sake of building his kingdom. Number two, if you give, God will not owe you something. And I don't care how much you give with all the good mo motives, God will not owe you anything. You cannot say, you know, oh, there's somebody in need. You know what? I'm going to help them out. Here, here's a few hundred bucks. And then, God, did you notice that? Did you see what I did? <laughs> You know, I've got some things coming up this week. I'm really hoping maybe you can help me out now since I helped you out. We don't make deals with God. He is God. He has promised to bless because of his love, because of his grace and his mercy, but it is not because he owes us anything. We owe him everything. Next point. Faithful people may experience suffering. See, the prosperity theology people, they trip over this big time. You may be doing right by being financially faithful with all the right motives, whatever, and you may still experience suffering and hard times because God may have a work that he's doing in your life, which is different than he's doing in other people's lives. If that's you, then hold on to the reality that the greater reward is in the kingdom. Because there ain't going to be no suffering there. Next. Giving cannot compensate for disobeying God in other areas of our lives. Okay, If you are living a life and disobedient to God and trying to compensate for it by giving money, it eh, doesn't work. Don't expect a reward from God. He wants faithful people and faithful in the total package of who you are, not just one particular area. We cannot buy God's favor. And lastly, being rich doesn't mean God has blessed you. The people in Jesus' time really tripped over this one. They feared if you had a lot, God liked you. If you were poor, if you were sick, God didn't like you. You did something wrong, you got in trouble. And Jesus tore apart that theology. You know, for some people, being wealthy is a blessing. But for many, it's a curse. It is a curse that literally draws their hearts away from God. So just because somebody has money does not necessarily mean it's because they have walked in God's favor and he is blessing them. I want to take a moment to give you a personal example. Um, 
I'm cautious in doing this because I'm, I'm not 100% sure how it's going to come out. Uh, but in, in my life, my, my family, you know, my wife and I have committed long ago that there's a certain percentage of my income that is going to go to the kingdom work specifically to the local church. And there have been times when that's been hard to do. You know, one of those times was a few months ago. Um, I, I'm, I'm self-employed, so my income varies wildly from month to month. And we had a few months where it was kind of lacking and we used up our reserve. It wasn't that you know, we couldn't eat or anything like that. I'm not trying to paint that picture. But I got to the end of the month, and on that particular month, I hadn't followed the principle of first for God. I got to the end of the month and, and hadn't given what we'd committed to give yet. And I balanced the checkbook, and I'm looking at it, and what we had committed to give was the same as what was left in the checkbook. And, you know, I had a salary coming in a couple of days after that, but I knew that wasn't going to be real great. And then taxes were right after that, and I didn't have any money for that. And I'm looking at that thinking, I can't give. I, there's no money there. I need that for taxes or, or whatever. I can't, I can't give that. And for truthfully only a few minutes, my faith wavered. And eventually, I kind of caught myself, slapped myself pretty good. I said, what are you doing? Everything we have as a family, God has given to us. He has blessed us over and over. He has come through in our lives in, in more ways than I could possibly share. And now, all of a sudden, just because things are a little tight, I'm going to lose that faith. I'm going to stop trusting him. Like, wake up, you fool. <laughs> so I wrote the check. You know, two days later, I got my income for the month uh, from work. And it was significantly higher than I had expected for that month to where we had enough for, to pay the bills and enough to pay taxes. And I just, Lord, why did I even for just a moment doubt you? Why did I let worry come in and fear of the future come in? Why didn't I just trust you right away? And, when, you know, we as a family, we're, we're praising God for that. Two days later, I got a call from my accountant. He said, well, there was an error in your taxes last year. You overpaid. You don't actually owe any taxes right now. In fact, you've got a surplus. And I didn't even know how to respond. I don't think I could explain to you the absolutely overwhelming nature that I felt at that point of the blessing of God. And it wasn't so much, hey, thanks, God. It was more of, God, what in the world are you doing <laughs> that you would pour out this much blessing on me? I mean, what have I done? I gave a portion of what you gave me anyway back to you. Why would you bless me for doing that when you gave me all of it in the beginning? And why do I share with you that story? 
Because if you are not faithful financially, I, I can't promise you that God will work in a particular way or he'll do as he did with me. But I can tell you this much. What you are sacrificing by not being faithful is far, far more than what you are saving. It is foolish to not be financially faithful to God. Even with the best, even that act of faith, when you're looking at the books and they, they say you don't have enough. And I know that if I were to take a microphone and go around this auditorium, I could find several people who could testify to the same thing. That, you know, we made a commitment at some point that we were going to honor God with our finances. And there have been hard times, but looking back over that long haul, man, God's blessing is really evident in our life. And he blesses us so that we in turn can be more of a blessing to others, so that we can build his kingdom and his church. So I encourage you, if you're not there yet, ask yourself, what am I giving? Is what I'm giving sacrificial, or am I giving God the leftovers? Am I giving him the sick sheep that's going to die anyway? Do I really believe that God will bless me, be it in this life and the next, be it with monetary things or, or be it with those non-material things like peace and contentment? Do I believe that is true? Am I willing to trust him and say, God, you know what? It's in your hands what you do. You can, you can do with me what you will, but I'm going to honor you. And I'm at least going to give you the opportunity to open those windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I firmly believe that God wants to bless us far more than what we receive because our faithfulness does not allow it. That's my message for today. I hope it's been thought-provoking. I know, you know, I'm, I'm not standing before you as someone who's arrived. This convicts me as, as much as it, as it may you. And I'm still a work in progress in this. But uh, let's keep pushing each other. Let's not build our kingdom. Let's build his, his kingdom and seek that first. Let's close in prayer.